0: Just a quick question to start off the sermon, I just want you to share with the person next to you. If you could shoot up the next slide, Scott. If you were in charge of starting, you know, building a company, producing a movie, starting an NBA or NFL expansion team, who would you choose to start? Who would be a part of your startup team? Who would be a part of the main actors or main characters? Or who would you choose to really be the centerpiece of your expansion team, all right? So, with the person next to you, just take a few moments. You can pick one or all three of the questions and just share with the person. Go ahead. All right, anyone like to just share an answer? Anyone? Charles, what about you? JJ Abrams, okay, good choice. Okay, anyone else? Eugene, what about you? Did you say yourself? Well, it should be pretty straightforward, right? The answer kind of I'm looking for. You would choose the best of the best, right? The smartest, the most charismatic, the most gifted, most talented. Because you want your company or your expansion team or whatever to do well. Like for example, I know a few friends in here who lost their job but they finally found a job recently. Like our brother Jay and Sean, I know that recently they found a job. And they were chosen because what? They're the smartest out of the whole bunch that interviewed, the best, the top of the, you know, the best looking, they, they are the most skilled, and so they were chosen, amen? <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just act like you really believe that, because I do. But this is why, okay, our study in Mark 1 is so fascinating, and actually is very important for us to study, because Jesus comes on the scene. And he chooses the first four people that are going to be a part of his team. And it reveals actually a lot about who Jesus is, who he wants for his kingdom. It even reveals a lot about the gospel and even what discipleship looks like. And so this morning, we're going to look at just three things, I believe, that are drawn from the text. We're going to look at who he chooses, what he calls them to, and how we ought to respond when Jesus calls us. Sound good? I don't know if you've never heard me preach, okay? But uh, if you've heard me preach, I do like a little response. You guys with me? You guys ready to go? All right. So the first point is who he calls. In verse 16 and 19, it says this Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother who were in the boat, mending the net. So the first four he chooses to be a part of his team are Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were fishermen. Now, were they kind of the top of the top for a spiritual kingdom endeavor? Should he have chosen these four? Absolutely not, right? Because they were actually, if you look at Acts 4.13, after having spent all this time with Jesus, you know how people classified Simon Peter and John? They, They were called uneducated common men. People that were unfit for the task that Jesus is calling them to. But this is the thing that you need to know right off the bat. This is Jesus' MO. He's recruiting acumen to choose people that were unfit, that were lacking, that are in need of a Savior. This is what Jesus does all throughout Scripture, right? Can I get a Hallelujah. Okay, I feel like we need to warm up a little bit, so I'm going to give you a little pass on that. But the reason why I'm saying hallelujah, praise the Lord, is because when you understand that truth, it, it should shock and it should move you because now we are all allowed to be a part of God's team because to be a part of his team, you don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be the top of the top. You just need to come and say, Jesus, I need you. And to that, I say hallelujah, because that is the only way I could be called a son of God here. That's why we can all say we are redeemed sons and daughters of God. In Matthew 1, I want us to turn there because we're starting the Gospels. We can look at so many different passages, but I want to look at Matthew 1. So turn there if you have your Bibles. In Matthew 1, verse 1, do you know how the book of Matthew starts? Anyone? It starts with what? The genealogy. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. You're like, I came to the wrong church on the wrong Sunday. He's going to preach on the genealogy. Well, let's take a look, because I I believe it's really powerful. It says this in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. I want you to pay attention to who Tamar is. And Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Amminadab. Amminadab the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by who? Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the who? The wife of Uriah. Now you're like, what are you talking about, Pastor John? There are already five women mentioned in this text. Did you know in biblical times there were no women mentioned in any genealogy. It was unheard of. So why would Matthew, who is a good Jew, list five, and later on he's going to include Mary in the last verse, six women, not only just six women, but women that were actually kind of a little scandalous, right? Because Tamar was a person who was pretended to be a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. And on and on and on. It even mentions Bathsheba. Not only that, but if you look at the men, it mentions who? Like King David, who had a scandalous past. Solomon, who disobeyed God, married all sorts of women of different religions, and introduced that into the people of God. Now, why is that important? Because what you're seeing is that Matthew makes it very clear from the beginning that to be a part of God's lineage, to associate with Jesus, who he considers to be his family, It's not perfect. It's a broken, it's an open to anyone family tree. Praise the Lord, amen? And so from the beginning of Matthew, the Jewish people are uncomfortable because they're like, I need to follow a guy who is a descendant of Bathsheba. How is he the Messiah? Clearly, even from the beginning of Matthew 1, he makes it clear that the gospel is for every single sinner who is able to recognize that it's not about me, but it's about God who saves and who calls. And he is more than able to cover over any weakness or iniquity that we have in our lives. And even by the calling of these four disciples, he shows you that his kingdom It's not about what you can do for God. It's about what God does to save and call us. If you look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 31, talking to the church, this is why he says, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why does Jesus do this? Because when weak and broken people do great things for the kingdom of God, who gets the credit? God, because it sure ain't you. I remember when I was asked to be a youth pastor for the first time, I was working at Deloitte and Touche. I was an accountant, and then I, I left there, and then I went in seminary, thinking I was gonna go back into the business world. I just wanted to learn a little bit more about God. Well, during that time, my home church lost their youth pastor, the junior high guy, so they didn't have anyone. For six, seven months, they were looking. They couldn't find someone. So they knew that I was going to seminary. So they approached me and said, hey, John, why don't you become the youth pastor? I said, no. So they were like, why? This is your home church. Why are you going to seminary? You should serve the Lord. I was like, no. I barely like my brother, okay? You want me to take care of 100 youth kids? There's no way. Not only that, Okay, I'm an introvert. If you grew up with me, I was known to be very quiet. I didn't care about like, having to be out there and stuff. I, just, I could be by myself in my room, and I was totally content. You want me to be relational and talk to all these people? That would drain the heck out of me. Now, if you asked me to do that for a million dollars a year, maybe. A part-time youth pastor at a Korean church, let's just say you would not sign up for that. But God called me. And in his special way, he led me sovereignly into that position. And I want to tell you something. The reason why I'm sharing this is because even in my brokenness, even in though I was lacking, I was not trained well, I almost wonder if, like, my first 100 sermons, if it's, like, even wrong in some ways. But in the midst of that, God was working. God was using me. And now I look back, and it's simply because why? Because if I make any impact, it's the Lord who gets glory. Because it sure ain't Pastor John. I don't even know if he knows Greek. Well, This is first year, so don't don't worry. I, I did a lot of Greek. But see, this is what happens. He calls people that need Christ, that are lacking, that recognize, that You are called into his presence. Use not because you're special or impressive, but because God is great and he can use and work through you. Um, I wanted to share a story about these two ladies. Amazing. So this first one is Lacey Habakkuk. And at 15 years old, she was hit by a drunk driver. She lost her leg. She was a Christian, but she was really depressed, wanted to take her own life. She felt called to serve the Lord prior to this accident. But afterwards, she was struggling, because she didn't even know what to do with her life. But because she had special Christian friends who really surrounded her and reminded her of truest that God is sovereign over this. He uses us not because you have two legs, but he uses you because there is a purpose to everything. In her words, they reminded her that my suffering has purpose. She now works for Campus Crusades, and she ministers to the cadets in the US Air Force. Is that a blessing? And the glory goes to God, not because she's so powerful, magnanimous, or charismatic. This is another lady, Kristen Bates. As an infant, she was diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy. She can't use her legs. Okay, she needs help getting dressed, going to the bathroom. She felt called by the Lord to serve, and to be a teacher. You know what she's doing now? She's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. She was the 11th woman ever from Dallas Theological Seminary to get her PhD. She knows Greek. Hebrew, Latin, inside and out. And she serves the Lord, not because she's so capable or because she's so amazing, but because when you look at her life, you can't help but to say what? To God be the glory. He's the only reason that we can do anything. So if you stand and you come into church thinking I have swagger before God, I have this to offer to God, you better check your heart the reason why we're here, the reason why we're called, the reason why we're saved is because our God is great and he's able to cover over any weakness we have. Amen? Amen. This is who he calls. This is who we are. and We need to embrace that. And see, when you embrace that, you know, something amazing happens. You start to lean on God more because you realize I can't do it without him. Number two. What he calls them to. In verse 17, it says this. Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So everyone, what does he call the disciples to? Anyone loudly? What does he call them to? Okay, I think I heard it, but I'm not sure. Okay. If you said follow me, you are correct. If you said fishers of men, you're incorrect. Now, that's the problem. You look at this text, the thing that stands out to you is what? Fishers of men. Well, that sounds fantastic. I want to be a fisher of men. And see, as a Christian dad, you're drawn to that. I remember I spoke at a youth retreat. It's about 150 kids. And so their whole theme was on fishers of men. They made t-shirts. They did a fake activity where they were like fake fishing. You know, they did this whole thing. But I understood that. I was like, man, they missed the whole point of this text. So I got up there and then my first sermon, I was like, all right, guys, who wants to be fishers of men? I was like trying to bait them. I was like, yeah, and then everyone's like, yeah, like they were going high-fiving and stuff. So I was like, I got them. I was like, all right, all right, great, great, great. Who wants to die and follow Jesus every single day? That was my next question. A little bit of silence. They weren't as excited. Because the call actually isn't to be fishers of men. That's Jesus's job. If you look carefully, he says, follow me. I'm going to make you the fisher of men, but your job and the calling that God is calling every single one of us is to follow him. Every day, follow him. I think sometimes we're like, I want to change the world. Well, what about following him just every day you wait? Why don't we start there? Because once we do that, maybe God will use us and think that we are responsible enough for greater, bigger things. He's calling us to follow him each and every day. Now, in our culture, we use that term like in Twitter world, right? Yeah, I follow John Mark Arthur. I, I follow him. You click something, I follow. I like a few of his posts. That's not following. Following is every single day intentionally shaping and warping your life so that he becomes the number one. Ultimate priority. So in each and every day, you think to yourself, how can I live this day for him? I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, there can be no following without a previous forsaking. To follow Christ is to renounce all lesser loyalties. I love that. Because what he does here is he calls them to follow. And now, you need to realize this about the disciples. They were fishermen, but I don't want you to think they're like poor, they had nothing, like they never took shower. it's not not that picture. They actually, I'm sure it was passed down from generation to generation. You can tell later on the text that they had higher servants, so they were doing actually pretty well. They're not like tax collectors where they're like really looked down upon. I mean, so they had a pretty decent life. But Jesus, what he does is he tells them, you need to, what, follow me? And when they follow, they leave lesser loyalties behind. So I gave you a little, I don't know if you noticed, but I like charts, so just to kind of help you. What they have to leave behind is what? their profits, because I'm sure they made pretty good money, their personal kind of reputation, their position, the security of trying to go from a job that they could really lean on to something maybe they have no idea. And then fourthly, they leave their parents, which is a big deal in that culture. They're leaving their identity to follow this person. But for the disciples, when they saw Jesus, they recognized, he's worth it. And now everything else, even though those things are important, they are lesser. If you look at Mark 10, 17, there was a story about a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? Okay? And they have this dialogue. And then he says, oh, have you followed the law? He says, oh, I've kept all of them. And then Jesus says something very important. I want, I want to kind of point us there. In verse 21, Jesus responds to this guy, and he says, looking at him, he loved him. I don't want you to miss that. Jesus doesn't do this to condemn him, to make mockery of him, to make him someone that now everyone can look at as say, see, see? No, he loved him. He wanted this brother to follow him. And in his love, he says to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me." Verse 22 is very revealing, because this is what the brother does. He says, he was disheartened by the saying, there was internal conflict. He went away sorrowful, for in his eyes, he had great possessions. See, This brother had internal conflict because in his eyes, his possessions were greater than Jesus. It was not a lesser loyalty that he could give up. And see, the question has to be for all of us. If we're going to follow Christ, in an affluent kind of Orange County culture that we live in, we have a lot of things that are okay, they're decent, they're good for us, they're necessary, but if you make them greater than Christ, you are not going to be able to follow him. They will be a distraction to your following Jesus. The question is, what looks greater to you in your eyes than Jesus? Because for this man, he could not follow because his possessions were that great in his eyes. See, C.S. Lewis is saying, look, it's hard to follow when you can't recognize that everything else is a lesser loyalty compared to Jesus. Uh, This is a couple I met in Japan, and they're missionaries. They're called the Harringtons. Do you shooting that up? Beautiful family. So, they're from Cleveland, and so they were there, they've been there for about three years, and they've given their life to serve in this small remote area called Shiogama, Japan. Four kids, they had wonderful jobs back in the States. They felt called, and now they are there serving. So I got to spend a lot of time with them. My family also, see their two girls are actually six and four, the age of my girls. So they were like hitting it off because this was the first time in three years that they had, to, they had friends who spoke English. Even though my kids kind of looked Japanese, they were like, wow, you speak English. So they were running around having a great time. So we got really close really fast. But as I started to spend time with them and I looked at their life, I felt some pity because their life was very, I mean, they invited us to their home. So we went in and their home was shabby looking, man. For their four kids, they have one room that they share to sleep in. I was like, how do you do that when your little one wakes up? What happens? They're like, everyone wakes up. I was like, how does that even work? They had one kind of area in their house no one's able to go through. You know why? Because if you step on there, you'll fall through. Because it's, it's kind of rotten wood. They didn't have to worry about money in the States. Now... Each month, they wait on the Lord. And the little amount that they get, they spend to just pay. And this is the craziest thing. Do you know in Japan, every kid has to buy this special backpack? Have you seen this? It's the weirdest thing, but it's so expensive. And you have it for the rest of your life. There's a lifetime guarantee in these backpacks. I was like, What? And they all wear, it. and there's special companies that just make that, and every kid buys it, and it's almost like a sign of privilege and a sign of money and wealth. And now the mom is struggling because she's like, to fork over like $250 for this backpack, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt us. But I don't want my kid to feel like they can't have certain things. And they're sharing this with me, and I'm like, I was about to be like, I'll give you $250 right now. You buy that backpack. You buy the best one. But they weren't sharing with me as if they were complaining. This is the part that really humbled me. They were sharing their life as if it's so great that God has given us the opportunity to be here. Because God is that great. This is nothing. And in my mind, I walked away thinking like, what if my family was there living in that shabby place, struggling to make ends meet, wondering if I'm going to have money for rent. See, but for them. Everything else is a lesser loyalty. When you see the greatness of God, and when you recognize following him is so much sweeter, so much greater, they're able to give up lesser loyalties. To know, and so I walked away not pitting them, but I envied them. Isn't that crazy? I walked away saying, man, they live such a simple life, just serving the Lord. And sometimes my life is so convoluted, I get distracted. Here, Jesus says, Follow me. That's the call to give up the lesser things, to not see these other loyalties in your life as greater, but to recognize that Jesus is greater. The third thing how to follow his calling. In verse 18 and 20, it says this for both sets of the brothers, it says this and say that word with me immediately they left their nets and followed him. In verse 20, the same word, and immediately he called them and they left their father's ebony in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is a favorite phrase for Mark in his gospel. You're gonna see that word immediately all the time because he wants you to understand the urgency of the call of Christ. To see the urgency that when God calls, we should move, right? And here we see the disciples moving. But how we ought to respond to Jesus' call if you look at verse 18 and 20 carefully, is not just immediately but responsibly. Okay? Why am I saying that? In verse 20, it's not like they just leave them and say, "All right, dad, figure it out. See you later." In verse 20, what happens? They're already hired servants. They recognize dad's going to be okay. He's not irresponsible. I mean, I've heard stories of, like, I don't know these people, but, like, you know, oh, I want to serve the Lord, so I just, yeah, I left my husband. I just, I just live at church. God is not honored by that. Any of our staff people, if you ignore your children and you spend time at church, do you think that honors God? That doesn't honor God because you're being irresponsible, right? So here, the calling is not just to be like, all right, forego everything and I'm just going to run towards Jesus. No, you need to understand God has given us specific callings and to be responsible over those. But in the midst of that, how can you walk to make him number one? And here they immediately do it, meaning today is the day we don't wait because there will not come a day when it's more convenient. I don't know if you ever thought this way, but you're like, man, you know, I have two kids. Uh, When they're a little bit older, it'll be a lot easier and maybe... I'll follow Jesus. I'll give more. Uh, well, what if you have a third kid? You weren't planning for it. Then what? Well, you know, what if money, you know, gets a little easier? I'll have more time. What if you lose your job? Then what? See, I think sometimes we just wait, wait, thinking that there's going to be the best moment to do it. The best moment is today. The best moment is today. It says in Ephesians 5, 16, and 17. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's saying, look, the days will fly by and it will be filled with just worldly, secular things. Today, make the best of it and pursue him. When you say, I'm going to follow God, follow him today. Let's just be frank, if there's a priority in your life, you're going to make time for it, isn't it? Like I know NFL started, I know some of you already, you're looking at Sunday night. And you're like, hey, don't bother me. 530. I'm watching that game. Okay, because it's a priority for you. And so we do this all the time, right? When there's something important, we will carve out time and make sure that our life is fitted for it. And we don't say, if I don't get to it, no, you're like, no, today is going to be it's going to happen. When we were in Japan, I knew we had three weeks there. Did you know that because I knew I was gonna be going home after three weeks, every single day, what was I doing? It was very intentional. Well, today we're gonna wake up exactly at this time because we're gonna meet here, we're gonna take nap at this time so we can go and serve because we're gonna have a long day. I don't just wake up and think like, oh, let's not do anything today. You wanna just go shopping, right? Because you, I have three weeks. See, for all of us, You only have a set amount of days that you have that God affords for you here. What if it's a year? What if it's two years? How will you live? Will you just kind of trudge along and all of a sudden think like, oh my gosh. Or will you decide today to make most of Jesus in your life? I know it's not easy because You sleep 12 hours. Maybe you work eight hours. You think to yourself, how can I fit Jesus in there? I want you to think and pray about saying, look, how can I include Jesus in my commute? How can I include Jesus in my work time, in my lunch time? When I get home and the kids are finally asleep, am I just going to be looking at my phone before I go to sleep? Or am I going to include Jesus in those moments, even when I'm physically tired because I know He's greater than. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to walk in a way that honors God. Can you do something for me as we close? With the person next to you, just kind of, if you wouldn't mind, just saying this to them. Say, Jesus is greater than. Do you mind saying that? Just real quick. I know it's cheesy. Do you mind? Jesus is greater than. But say in a way that's kind of convicting, like you really believe it. Because I want you to hold on to that phrase. That as you walk into this week, I want you to know, whether you believe it or not, Jesus is greater than anything else you'll be involved in this week. Your work, your children, your marriage, Jesus is greater than those things. So the amount of attention that we give to those things, let's think about how, man, how much more should we give to Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that we see in your Gospels right away, in chapter one, that you call us, that you love us, not because we bring so much to the table, but because your Gospel, your love, is that wide, that high, that long, that it would cover over us. Not only that, but you give us the privilege to follow you to be a part of your team, to serve you, to make much of you in every avenue and sphere of life. So would you help us to consider how we could follow you more diligently, how we can follow you starting today, that we will make the most of each and every day for you because that's what you deserve. We love you and in your name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to have a time for offering. So if you would just prayerfully consider giving. As Chris and the team leads us in a song.